Sometimes like that, our weaknesses are obvious. Sometimes they're not so obvious. Sometimes they're inside. Sometimes they're carried around for weeks, months, decades, and never really brought to the surface to give over to the Lord to see, can he use this in some way, or is this going to eat my lunch the rest of my life? Am I going to carry this weakness as a mantra, as a, as a, as a, as a badge, more or less, to say, this is who I am. This, I'll never, at least in this area of my life, never move beyond that. Um, anybody have been watching the Olympics recently? We watched some swimming last night, and uh, in, the, in the individual medley, there's great swimmers, but in the individual medley, it's, it's a 200-yard uh, swim, and so you've 50 yards or, or 400, I can't remember anyway, but there's four different strokes. Swim down, butterfly, and back. Swim down, breaststroke, and back. Swim down, backstroke, and back. And then swim down, freestyle, and back. Here's what I noticed in watching those swimmers. Every one of them has a weakness. It may be the butterfly for one. It may be the breaststroke for the other. But you can see gains made, and you can see other swimmers fall back on their weak stroke. And that was very telling for me because as I thought, saw that last night, thought about this morning, you know, there are, there are ways that weaknesses can overcome us, but there are also strengths that we can play to. If we'll allow ourselves to play to strengths and give the weakness over to the Lord, he can use those to, to, make the, to turn them actually into strengths. We're going to see that this morning and actually for, the, for these next few weeks as we talk about this fact that weakness wins. In our world, those two words don't go together, weakness and win. Only can you find that concept in the scripture because only God can show up and make, turn a weakness into a strength. Only he can do that. First Corinthians chapter 1. If you want to turn there and follow along, we're going to pick up in verse 25 and then read through chapter 2, verse 5 together. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you are when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except <coughs> Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul is displaying both for the Corinthian church and as a testimony to himself, this fact that weakness is something that God turns on its ear. He does it over and over and over and over again. Foolishness, lack of wisdom. He supersedes all of, the, all of our inadequacies and turns them into strengths for, as we'll see in a moment, his glory, and usually the good of others, and sometimes us as well. First of all, as we see how to, how to glean victory from, from this passage, victory and weakness, we see, first of all, that victory and weakness depends on who we're anchored to. He speaks to that in verse 25. For the foolishness of God 
is, 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 is the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And that is to say, God's weakest, at God's weakest moment, he is stronger than human strength. At God's most foolish moment, he is wiser than human wisdom. To say that as, as, uh, as much as we would reach as man to know more, to accomplish more, to do more, it is God who is the source of strength, who is the source of, of wisdom, who is the source of all of those things. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Samson... <clears throat> was perhaps the strongest man that ever lived. And we, you, you can see his story there in Judges. Judges 14, though, speaks to where Samson got it, uh, gleaned his strength. Listen to these two verses from Judges 14. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. He was actually going down for a wife. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. Now watch this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. The story is telling, and every time that Samson displays strength, kills 3,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, any time there's a display of strength in Samson's life, this phrase is always in the scripture, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and gave him power. And as is to say, our weakness is, is, puts us at a vulnerable place to where we always have to depend on the power of God to move beyond where we're weak. That was true of Samson, the strongest uh, physical man, at least that's probably ever lived, and that's true of us. Whether whether our 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 weakness is physical, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, uh, vocational, regardless of our weakness, he is our source of strength. So, his his weakness came from God. Ours does as well. Now, to overcome our own inadequacies, we have to rely on the same spirit that Samson relied on, on the same spirit that that Isaiah relied on, on the same spirit that Peter relied on. All all fellows in Scripture who profess their weakness. That same spirit that gave them strength is the same spirit who indwells us from salvation and strengthens us in the moment, for the moment, for the, for the need of that particular situation. Now, if we look at life through that lens, every weakness becomes a strength. Why? Because we put it in the hands of God to do so. Our, our, our weakest moment, our most vulnerable place, becomes a strength that God can use. However, we have to be anchored to him. That's the only time the spirit can indwell a person is when they know Christ personally. We have to be anchored to him in faith and walking with him personally and allow the, spirits, uh, allow the Spirit to have the freedom in our life to indwell us, to give us power to work through that weakness, whatever that weakness may be. Uh, it may be food. It may be a drink. It may be, as I said earlier, it may be a relationship. It may be something emotional. It may be a hurt. It may be a loss that, that continues to eat our lunch and, and the enemy brings it up to our memory over and over and over and over again. Why? How do we, how do we get beyond that? We get beyond that by the power of God's Spirit in us, working through us to overcome that weak moment, that vulnerable place, that place that says, I can never get beyond this. This is going to eat my lunch the rest of my life. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. If we're being dwelled and depend on the power of God's Spirit, we can move beyond that, but we have to be anchored to Him in order for that to happen. We don't have it. We just don't have it. I'm going to tell you, we don't have the strength that it takes to pull ourselves out of those situations on our own. We depend on the power of the Spirit of God. Secondly, victory and weakness not only depends on who we're anchored to, but depends on who he chooses to use. Look at verse 26 to 29 with me. He says here, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God, watch this, God chose the weak things of the world 
to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. No one may have, have reason to say, I, pull my, I, I bootstrapped my own self out of this situation. He says here that he chose the foolish. He chose the weak. He chose the lowly. Why did he do that? A couple of reasons here I want to give you to demonstrate. He says, first of all, I want to demonstrate my sovereignty. I think that's what he's saying here in this verse to say, I am sovereign enough to use anything, anybody, at any time, anywhere for my own good. That's the sovereignty of God that's being displayed here to say, I'm God, and I can take your weakest moment, your most vulnerable place, and turn it into a victory in your life and for my glory if you'll allow me to do so. I'm sovereign, and I choose who to use, where to, where to use them, and, and, and the time, and the situation, and circumstances where those things occur. The second thing here I want us to see is, is, to, is that he does this to make sure his, the glory goes to himself and not the most beautiful and not the smartest and not the, the one with the most money, and not the one with the most influence, not the one with the most connections. He says, I want the glory in this situation to go to me. I don't want you or, or the people in your world to see your own strength and think your own strength pulled you through this situation. I want them to see and, and be honored by the glory that you bring me in giving me the weakness, your, your weakest moment, and allowing me to bring glory to myself through it, and strength to you and a testimony to others. So, it is his purpose here is twofold to, as he chooses the foolish, as he chooses the weak, as he chooses the lowly, he chooses whoever he wants to and chooses the moments he wants to and chooses the timing he wants to. And that's never what we would pick, is it? I mean, the time God chooses to, that we would choose for God to show up in our life is, is seldom the time he chooses to show up. He chooses to show up sometimes in the, in the, in the quietness, in the stillness, in the, in the, in the, in the vulnerable place, in the, in the, in the, 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 the prayer, prayer crying out from a heart of hurt. To say, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And God chooses to show up oftentimes in those moments and say, listen, I got this. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to bring glory to myself and good to you and, and testimony to others as a result of this whole situation that you now can see no outcome to. You can see no end to. There's really no, there's no fix. There's no solution to this. You recognize it. And now you're in a place of crying out to me because you're at the end of yourself. And when you reach the end of yourself, then you find, as, as we often do, find ourselves dependent totally upon the power of God for a situation. Until we reach the end of ourselves, this is true of anybody in addiction. This is true of anybody in, 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 in any kind of difficulty, marital, uh, emotional, relational, vocational. We, when we reach the end of ourselves, we find God starting to show up. Until we get to the end of ourselves, we're still trying to work it out. And he still oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes will say, let me know how that works for you. <laughs> when you get to the end of yourself, I'm going to show you what, what I can do. If you would have given this totally to me in the first place, I'm going to demonstrate to you what I can do. If you want to try and, try and juggle the fence here and juggle, keep, keep the balls juggling, give some to me that you can't handle and some that you feel like you can't handle, I'm going to show you how little you think you can handle once I step away from you. So... Sadly, we have to oftentimes get to the end of ourselves before we see that. But he can, if God can use a donkey in the Old Testament to speak his word, to speak his name, uh, if, if he can use a, a teenage shepherd boy to kill a nine-foot giant with a, with a rock <clears throat> and a sling, if he can use a manger, uh, and if he can use you know, dirtiness to bring the king into the... If, if God can use those kinds of things, he can use anything, anywhere, at any time, and through anyone. We limit him by thinking that he can't work if I don't know enough scripture, 
that he can't work if I don't show up at church enough, that he can't work if I don't give properly, that he can't work if I don't share him with others. On a, on a, we, we end up thinking, and in the, in the, this is the work of the enemy, that until I become this or that or whatever, whatever the super Christian you have in your mind, until I become that, God can't use me. And what Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church is God can use anybody, anywhere, anytime, for any reason and will if we'll, if we'll make ourselves available to him and allow ourselves to say, I can't do this. I can't, fun- I, I can't make this work out. Uh, in fact, I don't even see a means for it to work out, much less uh, me be taking the initiative to make that happen. How, how in the world can this happen? He says, I can do this. You'll give this to me. I can make this work out. He can use anything at any time. Paul, actually, Paul is one of the few guys in Scripture, um, he, uh, Nicodemus possibly, he's one of the few guys in Scripture, but the only one that we know greater information about is the only one that had any pedigree, really, any religious pedigree. Paul went to the best schools. He was trained by the best, best Hebrew teachers. He knew Jewish history and Jewish faith down to the letter. He's really the, one of the few in Scripture that had the pedigree to say and do what, with authority what he did. However, God uses none of that pedigree in Paul. In fact, he breaks all of that down. He, he grabs him on the Damascus Road and said, Hey, uh, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads, against the pricks, against the, against the steely points of the faith? Why are you doing that? Totally breaks Paul down, loses his eyesight, sends him on into town to be discipled by a fairly young Christian himself, to be discipled by someone else into the gospel of Jesus Christ and away from Jewish history, away from his heritage, away from his training, away from his background, away from his education. Say, I want to break all of that down because I want to use none of that. Now, I want you to understand the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of the truth of I can change a life because I'm about to change yours in an incredible way. Now, Paul did use his, his education background before Agrippa, before Festus, before folks who, had an, who, who that mattered to. But for the most part in Paul's ministry, God, God chose, chose to use none of his pedigree, none of his background. He used the simplest things, the simplest message. Of, and in fact, that's what Paul says here at the end of this passage. I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. That's the only thing of value that I have to share with you. I didn't come with eloquent words. I didn't, didn't come with, I didn't come to impress I came to inspire. I came to, for you to see Jesus and, and, and hear him through my story and my testimony. And that story and that same testimony can be yours. He had to break Paul down, and he does that in us too. He had to break Paul down before we could get him to a place of dependence and a place of usability. Oftentimes he has to do that to us, sadly. He has to break us down, break our situation, break our, break our money, break our, our will, break our time down to where, okay, have I got your attention yet? I'm about to do something incredible in you, but I've got to get your attention first. Do I have it? I wish it wasn't that way, don't you? I wish, he, I wish we were on a plane, walking on a plane to where, you know, as God started to spoke, okay, we'll go there. As God spoke here, we'll go there. As we sense God's spirit here, we go. Wouldn't it be a great way? That we, we could miss the pitfalls in life because we're, we're listening in, in, in an attentive way and in an ongoing way to the spirit of God. But seldom do we do that. We find our own way and get to the end of ourselves to where we can't do anything else and say, God, help. And that's when we find him to show up oftentimes the most, as I said. But it depends on who we're anchored to. Victory and weakness also depends on who he chooses to use. But thirdly, victory and weakness depends on who gets the credit. Look at verses 30 and 31 with me. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. Let those who boast boast in the Lord. In essence to say, the only thing we have a value to say is, is the value that he gives us to say. The only thing we have to say about ourselves 
is what, or should, is what he has done in us and what he is doing through us in the lives of other folks. Now, Paul had reason, as I said just a moment ago, Paul had reason to boast. He had the pedigree that others around him didn't have. He had reason to boast, but didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Because God ended up using none of his, none of his pedigree, he ended up using none of his education to bring glory to himself, had him unlearn the life that he had been brought up in and, and relearn what the gospel of Jesus Christ was all about, the story of Jesus and the fact that he indeed was Messiah. He broke Paul down. He blinded Paul on the road to Damascus to get his attention. Uh, sometimes God blinds us, uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, to get our attention where we can't see any other way but his way. And that's exactly what he did to Paul. But he blinded him and gave him a simple, simple theology and a simple message. Why does he do that? Because he wants the glory to go to himself. He breaks us down and gets us to the end of ourselves to make us keenly aware this is where you're weakest. Now, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab you at your weakness, in your weakness and make that, turn that into a strength if you'll allow me to use it. And he did the very same thing with Paul. In fact, Paul, um, as we see before Agrippa uh, in his delivery in the book, several times in the book of Acts, he speaks to this fact that I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not very interesting. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not very, I'm not very commanding. I don't, I don't have a presence that the good speakers have. Here's all I know. I know what Jesus has done. I know what happened to me. I can tell you my story. And Paul uses, or, or, or the Lord uses Paul over and over and over again to, to, to saturate the Greek world with the gospel. He uses somebody that, that was a murderer of Christians initially, but has very little or very limited uh, speaking skills and public, public speaking skills, and he, and he saturates the Greek world with the gospel. Why? It says that, that the power of God can overcome a man's greatest weakness. And Paul knew his greatest weakness, yet he was willing to be used by God and invested himself in the work of the Lord. So he wants the glory to go to himself and will use the lowly, he says here. He will use the humble. He will use the weak to bring that message about. That's what I wouldn't have, how I would make this work. Would you, if you were, if you were a modern day Jesus and you were, you were walking the, the shores of Galilee and you were put in a situation, wouldn't you want to find the brightest guy to have? I mean, we do that in churches. We do, we do that in, 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 in vocations. We want the smartest. We want the most educated. We want the one with the best resume. We want the one with the most experience. We want the sharpest tack in the drawer doing this job, uh, making this situation work in our lives. Yet, that's not, who Jesus, that's not how the Lord handles situations in Scripture at all. In fact, he, he chose earthy people. He chose not people, as he says here, not of noble character. He chose people that worked with animals. He chose people that farmed. He chose people that did humble things. And he chose that line of thinking to, to bring glory to himself. Why? Because he knew the temptation of the noble, of the educated, of the one with a thick resume. He knew that if the success came to that person... People would like to look at that person and say, look at what he did. He's a pretty sharp guy. And God did all of it. And he, so he realizes if I, if I use the folks that are less worthy, that are less notori- have less notoriety, that are, that are less known, that are, that are less noble, the glory is going to go to me more and more and more. He, knows, he, he does that by design. So that is to say God can and will and does use anywhere, anybody, at any, anybody anywhere at any time for his good and, and for our glory, for his glory. Um, he does this so that the master can be seen above the messenger. I, I come, I, I, I step into this place behind this little acrylic deal every week in great humility because, and I do so because I know the weakness of the messenger. And I know that the thing that needs to be had and heard is the master above the messenger. Yet 
My fear sometimes is you leave remembering what Tim said and remember nothing of what God said. Please don't do that. If I could plead with you, <clears throat> if there is anything of value that you hear that you want to take away, that you want to write down in the margins of Scripture, that you want to remember, you want to write down on your, on your, on your notes, realize that those things come from the Holy Spirit and not from my mouth. Realize that the truth that he shares with you in you and the things he wants to do through you to other, other folks' lives comes from him and not from me. I, I can tell you the, the feebleness and the weakness of the messenger because I know his feebleness and his weakness. And the master is the one who needs to be seen above the messenger. That's exactly what Paul's t- uh, talking about here to say, listen, it's not the deliverer of the message. It's the one the message is about. It's not the one standing to say, here's what the Lord said. It's what the Lord said. And so he says, if we, if we see that the, the lowly things, the, the less notable things, the, the, the less noble things, if we see those folks and we see that testimony, and we hear those words, and we hear those stories, we realize that had to be God. Because he don't have enough on the ball to pull that off on himself. That had to be God. And those kind of stories can be told from your life and my life over and over and over again. That, that's an only God moment. Exodus 20 says he's a jealous God. He longs for the glory. And I'm going to tell you, he will not share it with you. He refuses to. He just will not do that. If you want it, he'll let you have it. But he'll step away from you to, to let you experience it and realize, and realize at some point, I'm not all that. And we will, usually sooner rather than later. But when we, when we grow in a practice of giving him glory, of seeking his glory, first of all, and of giving him glory to say, God, I want this to be about you. I want this conversation I have with this, with this gal today or with this guy to be about you. I want the influence that I have with people at work, with these kids. Or, I want this to be about you today. If you'll make this about you, it'll be far easier to take myself out of it. And that's exactly what I want to do. I want to be used by you. I want to be available. I want to be obedient. But I want to remove myself and any any success that happens as a result of this from the equation. I want you to get the glory. If we start from that premise, it's far less tempting to say, you know, that was cool. I need to do that tomorrow. Or that was was neat. And we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And he says here, uh, and he brings these, these truths to bear here in, in verse 31 to say the wisdom is from God, it's not from us. Uh, our, our, as, as we looked at in verse 25, our wisest day is foolishness before him, and his greatest level of foolishness is wisdom before us. So he does this because he's jealous and refuses to compete with us for his glory. Fourthly, victory and weakness not only depends on who we're anchored to, who he chooses to use, and who gets the credit, it depends on the power of God. This is, this is a good part. Watch this in, in verses 1 to 5 again of chapter 2. And so it was with me, Paul says, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Paul's being very transparent and honest with him. I was scared to death before you guys. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your, your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I came to you, he says, in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you in trembling. I was scared to death before you guys. If you may, any confidence you, you were able to see in me was the Lord. It wasn't me. I was, I was, I was totally petrified before you. So I want you to know, that I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look into my heart and into my thoughts and into my processes. I didn't put any of this together. If anything, you've drawn from the things I've shared. You've drawn those things from God and not from me. But he says, I came to you, and watch this dichotomy. I came to you in weakness, but in the spirit of God's power. In essence, to say, my weakness is the spirit's opportunity to display power. And he will not display power 
until he sees my weakness. Until I bring myself to a vulnerable place, I will seldom see the power of the Spirit of God in me. But when I bring myself to a vulnerable place, when I bring myself to a place of willingness and availability and weakness and transparency before God, God's power steps in. And he says the, the, the power of God's spirit is what was demonstrated in front of you. And he, and all, he said, all I did was my test, share with you was my testimony. All I told you was what God's done in me. And we'll tell you, you've got a story. I've got a story. If we tell that story, God has promised in, in his word to use it over and over and over and over again. Why? Because that's where the power is. That's what the spirit takes and uses. He doesn't take our, our, our intellect. He doesn't take our ability. He doesn't take our, our impressive delivery or he takes none of that. He doesn't take any flowery words. He takes our story, the simplicity of, of the change of our heart and our story, and uses it powerfully. The Spirit has promised to do that, Paul says, and he does that over and over. He said, that's, that's what you heard from me. You heard my story. You heard my, t- my story about God and about me and about what God has done in me. That's my story. So he says, that's the power of the Spirit. If, he says, if, you'll, if you will hear that in me and replicate that in your own life, you'll see the Spirit show up and do those same things in you. Now, all throughout Scripture, God has used his word and the power of man's testimony to speak his word to men. <clears throat> we can see that over and over again, that he will always bless his word and he'll bless the truth of the testimony of how a heart, a life, a future, a marriage, a job, a career, uh, an influence has been changed. Why? Because that story can be told in someone else's life and someone else's life and someone else's life. The ripple effect of your life, I'm the ripple effect of a mother who's the ripple effect of a grandmother who's the ripple effect of another grandmother who had a, who had a saintly, devoted deep faith in God. And so I, I gleaned the ripple effect of that. It, it, it trickles down into my generation and hopefully into the generation behind me and on generations on down the road. Why? Because a story was told and a, and a stance was taken. And you take that stance and tell that story and God does it in the lives of other people that you're influencing. He does that in, <clears throat> he does that in the life of your own family, into the life of your own kids, into the life of borrowed kids, into the life of friends, into the life of folks we work. He does that in life after life after life. Why? That's, how, that's, that's the pattern that he's chosen to work, to say, well, you make yourself available to me, even your weakest moments, even the times you don't understand what's going on. If you'll make those available to me, I'll bring glory to myself and good in the life of someone else as your story is told over and over and over and over again. And he does that. How we, how we choose to, to clutter that up is, let me make this sound better. Let me, let me package this a little better. I'm going to tell you, it has nothing to do with packaging. It has everything to do with product. If the product is there in a changed life and people can see it, your testimony is going to be of value. If there's no product of a changed life, you can say all you want. There's no value there. But if, if the product matches the, the, the delivery and people will, people will be changed by it, and I'm going to tell you, it'll have a ripple effect in their life and in the lives of other folks. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here and exactly what God will do in us. Um, he... Uh, as I said, he, he changes lives, changes families, changes careers, and, 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 and for eternity, and all that comes from him. Um, he, this passage speaks to the fact that God uses the foolishness, he uses the lowly, he uses the less noble, uses the less desirable, uses the things that aren't to nullify the things that are, uses the things that have, have, have yet to be to nullify the things that are going on right now. What is, he, what, is, what is he talking about? He's talking about, I am eternity past, I am eternity future. The things that you, you, you have never known before creation and that you have yet to know after this world is annihilated and burns up in, in a 
great fire. After, the before and after will nullify all these things that are going on now. They have design and purpose to them. He said, you'll see this as you see this unfold. Um, remember the, the, the plagues in Egypt to Pharaoh and the things God used there? He used three or four different kinds of bugs. He used weather. He uses uh, darkness there. Uh, he used health. He used menial things. Yet, there's a common denominator among all the things, all the plagues. Each one of those plagues, ten plagues, man had no control over. None. I mean, I can kill a bug, but I can't kill five million bugs. Can you? I can turn the light on, but I can't make the darkness outside light. He chose to use things that man has zero control over. Why? To demonstrate, both to Pharaoh and to us, I can and will use anything at anywhere and anyone at any time for my glory. If... You'll, you'll look for me in it. And Pharaoh finally recognized him and says, you guys get out of here. I want no more of this. And, and we'll see that same kind of effect in our lives. God using the simple things, using the most, the, the things, the last thing we would pick to use, the, the, the last conversation we would pick to use, the last situation or, or, or engagement with somebody that, that, and we think God would never use that conversation. That's the very conversation he uses. He used the very things that, that we, would, we would not choose. We'd see as unusable, as unworthy of him. He chooses to use those things. And so he, but he always uses things that he had, he's the one that has control over and not us. That's true of that situation in, in, in Egypt. It's true of, our, of this situation here in this passage today. And God's, God's doing those same things in our day. Um, we are seeing in our day, I, I believe, a, a revelation in Matthew 24, uh, where Jesus is speaking, look for these things, look for these signs to give you to give you an idea of my, of my imminent return. And we're seeing more and more of those things occur in our world. We're seeing earthquakes in places where there have never been earthquakes. We're seeing a great deal of famine. We're in in in, in the in the most affluent world that's ever uh, that's ever uh, been walked the face of the earth, or affluent population that's walked the face of the earth. Yet there's there's greater poverty today than there's ever been. We're seeing we're seeing weather. The freakness of weather, like we've never seen before, we're seeing we're seeing natural disasters occur uh, in, in terms of uh, of hurricanes, in terms of tsunamis, in terms of we're seeing. And, and the Lord said in Matthew twenty four, when you start to see these things, when, when these things start to become the norm, and they've been freakish up to this point because they seldom happen. When you start to see the frequency of things, these things start to occur. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. What He's saying there is this. These are things I control. Now, I can't control your emotions. I can't control your will. That's the most dangerous thing. As I've said a number of times, God ever did to Adam and Eve is give them a will. He gave them a will to say, that's your control. I, I've got my, my hands are off of that. And he said, I can't control your will, but the things I can control, I'm going to control to help you see me. Not only in situations as it relates to the end time, but situations as it relates to circumstances and conversations and, and events that happen in your world day after day after day. He says, if you'll see me, I'll start to, to, to control the things you have no control over. And you'll start to step back and say, that was a God moment there. That was the Lord showing up in, a, in, a, in one of those kind of... He says, you'll start to see some of those things with more frequency because 
you'll start to yield more and more and more of those areas of your life to me. You'll take less ownership of your career, less ownership of your family, less ownership of your conversations, your relationships, and give those things to me. You'll start to see me start to use them in ways that will blow your mind. Why? Because we take a... We take a I'm not engaged approach to say, listen, on my best day, my greatest strength is the weakness before him. And so the more I learn to die to myself, I, the more I learn my weaknesses become his greatest strength. And he will use them in my life and in the lives of others for his glory. That's exactly what's happening in our world and can happen specifically in our worlds day after day after day. Um, that's why he's seen more through our weakness than our strength. God has seldom seen through what you're really good at. He's more often seen through what you're not very good at. Now, he will use what you're good at, but he is more readily seen and noticed in what you're not so good at, what you're more fearful of, what you're more anxious about. He chooses to use those things. He did that in the life of Paul. He does that. Paul admonishes the, the Corinthian church, let him do that in your life as well, and he'll show up, and he will do that in our lives if we'll allow our weaknesses to become strengths. We can be victorious in weakness. Question here, uh, kind of probing question as we leave and we'll wrap up. That's this. What do you feel most inadequate about? Each of us, I guarantee you, feel inadequate about something or several things. It may be personality. It may be you feel inadequate as a mom, as a wife, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. as a, as a you, you may feel inadequate in a lot of areas, but t- there's at least one significant area in your life that you feel that inadequate in. Now, you may not talk about it much, and not many people may know about your spouse, maybe. You may not, that, that, that may not be public information, public knowledge, and rightfully so. No, we don't go talk about the things that we're inadequate about proudly, boasting about them. But each of us have things we're inadequate about. Each of us have things that, that get our attention and say, hope this doesn't occur. I'm going to bomb if it does. I'm not very good at this. And we feel that. And the enemy brings that to our, he sets that on our plate day after day. He said, listen, see this inadequacy here? Keep your distance. Keep your mouth shut. Just, just let this roll. And God says to us, no, I want to use that, that inadequacy. Whatever it is that you feel most inadequate about, here's what I want to challenge you to do, and that's this. That may be the very thing God wants to use. Will you give it to him? Whatever you feel most inadequate about maybe may end up being the very thing God wants to use in your life. And heretofore, that's been hands off, because you don't want the you, you don't want to experience the failure of revealing your inadequacy. And God says that's the very thing I want to use to reveal me, not to bring you down, not to make you look worse, but for me to show up, for me to be noticed, for me to be seen, for me to get glory. I want to use the very thing, the last thing you would want to give me, and that is the thing that would bring the most failure and the most embarrassment to you. He said, "If you'll give those things to me." I'll use them in ways that will blow your mind, will bring me glory, will strengthen your faith, and will make, will make your story more powerful to others around you. And he does that time after time after time. Only, though, when we're willing to take the inadequate, the weak, the weak member, and say, I'm going to give that to you. Uh, i got shoulder issues because I have a torn, torn rotator cuff. Actually, two torn rotator cuffs, but this, the right one's worse than the left one. And um, I play to my left shoulder all the time. And I'm about as strong as in my left hand and left arm as I am my right hand arm, but I'm right-handed. I've, I've tried to compensate for that weakness. And rather than trying to build it up and, and, and 
do, do self-therapy on it, I guess. I've compensated for it to the point that I'm, I'm probably as strong or stronger now, certainly in this left shoulder, in the left arm, left hand, as I am my right. That's my dominant side. This, this lesson rings true in me and in you over and over and over again. We learn to compensate for our weaknesses instead of giving them to him. We learn to focus on our strengths, put the weaknesses in a drawer and say, let's, let's just stay there. Let's keep this arm out and this shoulder out of the fray and use the other one. We learn to compensate instead of lay those before him in, 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 in barrenness and openness to say, I'm not very good at this. And if this occurs today, if this conversation occurs, if this situation comes up today, if this bill is due now, if this, we, we learn to put those situations ahead of us to say, if this happens, I, I'm toast because I can't manage this. If we'll learn to give those weaknesses, those areas of vulnerability over to him day after day after day, he will make them, for, for, as I said, for his glory, for our good, and for the power of influence in someone else's life. He'll do that over and over again. He always said, story after story in Scripture, a person after person who just didn't have it. Just didn't have it. Peter didn't have it. He didn't have it a lot. Paul didn't have it on a number of occasions. In fact, he says, wretched man that I am. Who can who will deliver me from this, the, the, this battle between the flesh and the spirit that's going on? I can't do this. I'm too weak to do this. And each of us are. Each of us have weaknesses. Each of us have vulnerabilities. God says, that's the thing I want to use. Will you give it to me? I'll turn it into a strength if you'll give it to me. That's something only he can do. But we have to give that over to him. He doesn't come in and grab it. We have to yield that over to him and say, God, I can't do this. So if you want to use this, you're going to have to do it. I can't do it. And he will every day in someone's life. Let's pray.